0: Amen. 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 We got a little bit of feedback here. Oh, so good to be with you all this morning. So good to sing praises to his holy name together as his body, as his church, to worship the name of the Lord most high. Let's continue our worship now as we turn to the book of Genesis. We're back. Back in Genesis, that's right. I almost said turn to John 17 which would have been great. We could do that, That, and that would be great. But we must get back into Genesis. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And if you'd please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Genesis 4. This is God's word. Now, the man knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have gotten a man with the help of Yahweh. And again, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a cultivator of the ground. So it happened in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to Yahweh of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought a the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And Yahweh had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then Yahweh said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? If you do not do well, sin is lying at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Then Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and it happened when they were out in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then Yahweh said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now, cursed are you from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to Yahweh, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and it will be that whoever finds me will kill me. So Yahweh said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And Yahweh appointed a sign for Cain so that no one who found him would strike him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Well, I know many of us are excited to get back into the study of Genesis, this foundational book which sets the stage for all of redemption, redemptive history, actually all of human history. The account which details not only the creation of the heavens and the earth, but the origins, the true origins of every man, woman, and child who has ever lived. An account which even details the testimony of mankind's relationship with the creator of all things, Elohim, the supreme God almighty, the great I Am, or Yahweh as we've come to know him, the relational covenant-keeping name of God, Yahweh. Really, the first 11 chapters of this book are the foundation, not only of our faith, but of our entire existence. So there is Universal application in these chapters, these texts are relevant to each and every one of our lives in here, regardless of background or belief even. They are totally relevant concerning both our lives in this world and, as we considered last week, our lives in the next. This is it. This is where it all starts. And if we can remember back to our time last spring and by way of reintroduction, things actually started off really, really well. I mean, things were great right out of the gates here. Light appeared, then the elemental waters of the earth, the Holy Spirit hovering over them, waters which took shape as land appeared, forming oceans and seas before lush vegetation began to sprout up and cover the globe, the globe, uh, which was in the midst of a vast array of newly formed planets, the sun, the moon, the Our galaxy, which is in the midst of millions of other galaxies containing trillions and trillions of stars, stars which were all named and spoken into existence from nothing by the power of God and the word of God, as were the birds of the skies, the birds which filled our skies, the swarms of fish which filled the seas, then animals and mammals, reptiles, all brought forth in an instant in six literal 24-hour days all culminating in the crown of creation, the pinnacle of God's creative work, man. Man who is formed from the dust of the earth, the breath of life being breathed into his nostrils. Man who, unlike the animals, was created in the very image of God, created with an ability to both be conscious of our existence and, more importantly, with the ability to truly know our creator, to personally, uh, intimately, Know this great God of all creation, this great God, God who set man in a perfect environment, gave him perfect work, a perfect mandate, all while enjoying a perfect fellowship with not only the animals, but indeed a newly formed perfect wife, in a perfect marriage, Much more importantly, he had perfect fellowship with the perfect creator and sustainer of all things. Indeed, God looked at all he had made, and behold, it was good. It was very good. The start. Oh, we had a great start, didn't we? Things started off so well. Well, what happened? Genesis 3 is what happened. Genesis chapter 3 happened when the infinitely perfect God gave this perfectly sinless man a perfectly holy command. From any tree of the garden you may surely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat from it, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. All these trees, the fruit of all these trees, they're yours. Remember that? Have Adam. Adam. All these animals, you have dominion over them. The world is yours, is essentially what God is saying here. Very next verse, Eve comes along. After the first thing that God declared that was not good was that man was alone. He can't marry the animals. They're not of the same kind. So here is not another male, which would be as unnatural and detestable as marrying an animal, but rather... Here is a female. Male and female, he created them. Here is a wife for you, my child. To which Adam says, Oh, what a gift. What a gift. She's not like the animals. She shall be called woman. Isha. Because she was taken out of man. Ish. God says, It's all yours. Paradise is yours. Be fruitful. Multiply. Just. Don't eat from that tree over there, okay? Don't eat of that tree. Well, Eve goes out for a stroll. Serpent comes along. Satan comes along, tempts her. She eats. Eve then finds her husband, her husband who had received that clear command from God himself. You will die if you eat it. You will die if you eat of it. She gives him the fruit which he takes, not tempted like Eve was, but in an act of direct, willful disobedience, he puts it to his lips. He tastes its succulent juices and immediately lives. Yes, physically, but he dies spiritually. He dies spiritually. He is now engulfed by fear and dread and panic and a conscious awareness that a tremendous separation had occurred along with a heightened awareness that they were now naked. As all of a sudden they found themselves running not to God to enjoy his perfect fellowship in this perfect environment, but running from God. Afraid and ashamed, hiding behind some trees, using vegetation for covering. Paradise lost. Perfect environment gone. The relationship between man and animals corrupted. Between man and woman corrupted. Between man and God corrupted. Now even the ground is cursed as sin enters into the world and corrupts everything. As pain enters into the world, sadness and sorrow and sickness and suffering enters into the world, as death enters into the world. Death begins its mighty reign as from this point on the world would be under a curse as every man, woman, and child who came from Adam's line, from Adam's seed, would be born under this curse, conceived even in this spiritually dead condition, conceived and born into this world spiritually separated from our Creator. All born into an environment no longer of perfect holiness or perfect fellowship and perfect life, but into an environment of sin and death. And here we all are, still today, still living out our lives in this same woefully corrupted and cursed place. Welcome back to Genesis. (laughs) Ah. This is the doctrine of uh, the original sin, right? Romans 5, sin enters into the world through one man, death through sin. So death spreads to all men. Why? Because all men sinned. When Adam fell, we all fell. And humanity went from total delight to total depravity. We all sinned in Adam, which is proved by the lives that we ourselves live. Not ones of sinlessness and holiness, but ones full of our own willful violations of God's perfect commands. And therefore, we are all absolutely deserving of God's judgment and God's wrath. And should man die in this spiritually separated, this spiritually dead condition, they will face that divine wrath for all of eternity. Okay. I think the best word in the human vernacular to describe the events of Genesis chapter 3 is tragedy. Tragedy. The tragedy in the garden. But just as last week we weren't able to adequately describe the glories of heaven in mere human terms, I don't think the word tragically our tragedy even properly conveys the overwhelming lamentation that must have filled the heavens and the earth on that day, the grim reality of the events that occurred which left all of creation groaning for redemption, the sheer misery and anguish that must have plagued these two people in particular, who, if you can remember from the last time we, we opened this account together, we were literally being chased out of Eden driven out of paradise by God himself who added insult to injury by stationing a cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life, revealing just how seriously he takes our sin. Even the sins which we might be consider today to be somewhat trivial. I mean, come on. Eating, a, eating fruit? Oh Yeah even eating that fruit. Why? Because it stemmed from unbelief, disobedience, distrust, misplaced trust. As has been said, the woman listened to the serpent, the man listened to the woman, and nobody, nobody listened to God. So God showed them just how serious their offense was, and he did it right away. As this holy God said, look, everything has changed you're out of here. But my brothers and sisters, in doing so, he also revealed his gracious nature, his loving kindness. We've heard so much about in the Psalms, and the first three chapters of Genesis, this hesed, this loyal love for those who are his. He is so gracious. He's so gracious. He's so kind to us. First of all, that flaming sword, you can remember, was not so much a judgment as it was a protection. Again, had Adam and Eve then eaten of the tree, the fruit of the tree of life in this now spiritually dead condition, they would have remained in this state for all of eternity. But God said, no, 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 I'm not gonna let that happen. You're out of here. But here's a glimmer of hope for you guys before you go. Yahweh God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head. You shall bruise him on the heel. A seed will come, a deliverer, a rescuer, a conqueror, and he will have victory, not only over the serpent, but as God's revelation continues to unfold, he will have victory over sin, even death itself. He will reverse the curse as he redeems a people to the Father, a people whom he would go on to pray for in John 17, a people who belong to the Father from before the very foundations of the earth. This deliverer would come and would descend not from Adam's line, not of Adam's seed, but he would be the seed of the woman. In fact, he would be born of a woman but not the seed of sinful man. Okay? But for now, Genesis chapter 4, death's reign continues. The tragedy continues. As we begin, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now, the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man with the help of Yahweh. Now, you have to appreciate the emotion behind this exclamation of Eve. Eve, who tasted perfection. She knew of perfect fellowship with Yahweh. She knew of the perfect environment that he once had uh, them in. In fact, Adam and Eve are the only two people ever who knew of this environment and the subsequent banishment from it. Therefore, they're the only two human beings who knew of the stark contrast between purity and depravity, between perfection and... And corruption. They were the only ones who truly knew personally how far the chasm was between holy God and sinful man. So, when God, who then graciously allows this husband and wife to enjoy sexual relations, which is an amazing gift in itself, by the way. Uh, When he allows them to experience the joys of the marriage bed, he then blesses her with a child, with a seed. Now, in Eve's mind, and at this time, who do you think that she thought that this seed was? The the deliverer. She thought this was the promised seed. Okay, Adam, that, that was truly, truly awful. But at least it didn't last long. The seed is here. The one whom Yahweh said will crush the head of the serpent is here. We will be restored to pre conditions in a single generation. Meanwhile, here we all sit, some six to 10,000 year agony filled years later, billions and billions of deaths later with our arms crossed and our feet tapped like, yeah, okay, lady, sure, whatever you say. This is the deliverer, huh? You know, Eve was about to find out real quick who the son son of hers really was. That's why I put that quote in our weekly reflection this week from Henry. The less we expect from creatures, the more tolerable will disappointments be. (laughs) Come on. But at this point, as that little baby smiled back at her, in her mind, and in Adam's mind probably, this was the one. Even her words, the original Hebrew, is often translated, I have acquired a man, the Lord. She thought Cain was the promised one. As James Boyce said, there has never been a greater measure of hope for any child than the hope of Adam and Eve in the birth of their first child, Cain. Well, as we just read, she's about to be very, very disappointed as this couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, though Cain was among the seeds mentioned in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he wasn't among the seed of the woman. No, no. In fact, Abel was of the seed of the woman. Not in the ultimate sense, not the, uh, that he was the one who would crush the serpent's heel, but one who was still a part of this prophecy, one who found himself at enmity with his brother. The seed of Satan. Verse 2. And again, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Abel was a keeper of flocks, Moses writes. But Cain was a cultivator of the ground. Now let me be clear here. Cain was the man. He was the firstborn. His name meant acquired, possessed, obtained. He was really something. Abel, on the other hand... His name meant vanity, vapor, mist, later uh, used to describe the duration of man's time on earth. It's like nothing. It's like a cloud of mist, poof, gone, just like that. That's our lives. Cain was a farmer. He was, uh, had a very reputable occupation like his dad. He was strong, mighty harvester of wheats and grain. Abel, eh, little shepherd boy. Just a little shepherd boy. And you know how scripture would go on to paint feeble, weak little shepherd boys, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, those were the dynamics of this first family. Now, having lived hundreds and hundreds of years, Adam and Eve would go on to have many, many more children. Children who had children and grandchildren who had children and grandchildren, which we'll touch on in the coming weeks, believe me. But for our time today and for our text today, we will focus on these two in particular, And fast forward to the adulthood of these two men. Moses writes in verse 3, So it happened in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to Yahweh of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Okay, stop right there for one second. In the course of time, As time passed, they began bringing offerings, tributes, gifts to Yahweh. Now, where would they have learned such a thing? Well, very likely their father, Adam. Adam and Eve, who were actually the the eyewitnesses and beneficiaries of the first sin atoning sacrifice, right? Remember, they were wearing their little leaf outfits. And what happened? Yahweh says, no, 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 listen, vegetation is not enough to cover you two. Blood must be be shed. Someone has to die. Then Yahweh God made garments of animal skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Now you see where we're going with this. Abel brings one from his flock. Not just any flock, not just anyone, not just any random Lamb, not the blemished, sickly, lame, cast off fit for culling and thinning, but he brings the firstborn, the best of the best. He brings the fat portions, the choicest of his flock. And what does Cain bring to cover his sin? Some vegetation, which is later uh, prescriptive in some cases, but never for sin. Which is why Moses, explains why Moses writes in verse 4, Yahweh had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. Now, some might say and have said, well, how is this even fair? Cain was just doing what he thought was right. He brought some of his produce. Why did God reject it? The God I worship would never do that. Well, as we know, it's not really the sacrifice that's the issue, ultimately. But rather, it's the heart behind the sacrifice that matters. Entire lakes and seas could be filled with the blood that flowed through Jerusalem from men who were eager eager to kill God's animals in ritualistic sacrifices and for outward appearance, but whose hearts were far from grasping the the meaning and reasoning behind the sacrifices. Hearts which were far from actually loving and submitting their entire lives to God who called for that blood to be shed and this makes sense right man has always loved religion haven't we we love religion we love our works we love our deeds we're going to do it we love our actions we love our sacrifices men love to have their piety displayed before other men But typically, they hate the God who implemented the system designed to symbolically demonstrate a far greater meaning, namely that of his abundant mercy as he foreshadows the coming of the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate once-for-all sacrifice for sin. The one who would come along to say, quoting Hosea, learn what this means. I desire mercy, compassion, not sacrifice. Who would say, quoting Isaiah, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's not the sacrifice that was Cain's problem here. The problem was his heart. Okay, It wasn't ultimately about the specific animal. God didn't need anyone's lambs. They were his lambs anyhow. Right? Psalm 50. Hear, hear, O my people, I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor, nor male goats out of your fold. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains. Everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine, as well as its fullness. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? He could have said, you pagans. Because that's what they thought. But Yahweh didn't need any lambs. He didn't need Abel's lambs. He wanted Abel's heart. He didn't even need Cain's lambs. He wanted Cain's heart. David said, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Even though... Now Abel's heart he got. Okay? Abel's heart was close to God, but not Cain's. Even even though Cain was making sacrifices and Cain looked religious, his heart was, uh, this heart of Cain's, Cain's heart was so far from God when he was making the sacrifice, even the vegetable sacrifice. It's a good reminder for us. When we sing our songs together, when we take the Lord's Supper, when the elements come and they come in front of you, when you stand up as a man to lead your family in in musical worship, in in corporate worship, direct address to the Lord, think about where your heart is. Where it truly is. Cain's heart was so far from God. It doesn't matter if he brought a lamb. Abel got it. Abel knew what God desired. Yahweh continued in Psalm 50, Offer to God a, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me. Call upon me in the day of distress. I shall rescue you, and you will glorify me. That was Abel's heart. It was surrendered to God. He was dependent on God fully. He was sacrificing to the glory of God. I I don't buy that Cain brought the best he could nonsense. Okay, he could have easily gone to his brother and bartered for some of the flock if he really cared about offending this infinitely holy God, but he didn't care. Why? Because he was of the evil one. That's why. He was an unbeliever. And unbelievers aren't concerned with living in a way that honors and glorifies the God of all creation. Because they don't care, ultimately, about the glory of God. They only care about themselves and what benefits them, and typically only in the moment. Yes, even if it's cloaked in some religious facade. These are hard words, hard truths, I know, I know. Would you rather I tickle your ears a little bit this morning? Of course not. Be a waste of time. Go watch a football game. I can't tickle yours this morning. Because we're gonna see the results of a heart that is far from God in just a moment here, but not before we hear just uh, about just how much God regarded Abel's sincere sacrifice and exactly why He approved of it. In what is known as the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, which chronicles the most prominent figures in redemptive history. Whose name do you think is at the top? We'll go ahead and turn there. You look for yourselves. Hebrews chapter 11. Don't take my word for it. What is faith, anyhow? We always talk about true and saving faith. Do you have true and saving faith? Justified by faith alone, sola fide. What is that? What does that even mean? Well, Hebrews 11, verse 1 tells us. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. Wait, gained approval? You mean our approval before a holy God is not based on our works? It's not based on our religious activity, not by being a good person, not by having our our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds, not by our confessing our sins to a priest, not by saying a hundred Hail Marys or lighting ten candles or playing with a little necklace all day long, not, not by pledging allegiance to Allah or bowing down toward Mecca five times a day, not by worshiping some cow or a pantheon of divine beings, not by... Joining a church, not by singing in the choir, not leading a Bible study or preaching the word, not by giving our tithes and our offerings, not by getting baptized or raising a hand or walking an aisle or signing a card, not by keeping the commandments or adhering to the strict guidelines of the moral and ceremonial laws contained in the Torah, (laughs) wait, what? Not by our sacrifices. Surely our sacrifices will be enough. No. No. The men of old gained approval from God not because of their sacrifices, but because of the heart behind the sacrifices. By faith alone. Faith alone. Look at verse 3. Look at it in your own Bibles. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he was approved as being righteous, God approving his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. That means he was the first prophet. There it is, as clear as day. Abel was approved by faith and through faith, justified before a holy God by faith alone, even before Abraham, right? Abraham is another five verses down, Abraham is another three names down. E-E- even Jesus Christ himself speaking of Abel's justification before God said to fake religious men, false shepherds, blind guys, the Pharisees, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of you will kill and some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from city to city so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Jesus says Abel was the first. He was the first seed of the righteous, uh, excuse me, the first righteous seed of the woman. He was the first of God's children. He was the first redeemed out of the bondage of being born of Adam's seed. Righteous Abel was a chosen man of God, which Cain knew and Cain hated. Which is why John said to believers, to Christians, Do not marvel, brothers, if the world hates you. Are you hated by the world this morning? I hope that you are. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Meaning, again, it wouldn't have mattered ultimately if cain sacrificed a lamb that day or a 100 lambs or a 1000 lambs that day because the position of his heart was just like those of the false religious leaders in israel dead spiritually dead far from god just you're just killing animals for sport and clout at that point like some, like a psycho Which leads us to the second half of verse 5. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. And Yahweh said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? If you do not do well, sin is lying at the door. Its desire is for you. You must rule over it. Then Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and it happened when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. When Yahweh said to the serpent, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed, this right here is what he meant. This is where it started. The strife between the seeds didn't build up over multiple generations or multiple millennia until it reached its, reached its fever pitch. Oh, no, no, no. Right from the get-go, even from the first generation, the first two men born of Adam and Eve, we see the first murder. As one human being took the earthly life away from the other human being. And you've got to think of Adam and Eve as all this is going on. Our firstborn kills our secondborn. And it's all on us. We did this. Could you imagine? They had to be so devastated. What have we done? Well, let's look at this fourth point, which is titled The Way of Cain. I want you all to listen now. That's from Jude 11, where he speaks of satanic men, the seed of the serpent, deliberately leading people astray, wolves. Slanderous, blasphemous, ferocious wolves who seek to separate little lambs from the flock and then devour them. Listen to what Jude says. Yet yeah, in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme glorious ones. But Michael, the archangel, when he... Disputing with the devil, was arguing about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men blaspheme the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals. Ouch. By these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. And for pay they have poured themselves into the air of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. This is the way of Cain. And I'll just be straight up. We all know people who are on this way, both outside and inside of our churches. First of all, Cain's indignation. Cain became angry. God even said, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? You can see it on people's face. People who live in constant anger, was life is consumed with bitterness and jealousy and strife. It pumps through their veins. It's on their face. You can't hide it. They can't hide it. That was Cain. Cain was controlled by his anger, always. Now let me ask you something. Is all anger bad anger? Is all indignation bad indignation? Negative. People can be angry about that which grieves God about sin, about little lambs being taken advantage of, about godless men and women preying upon the most vulnerable among us, about these things, we should be angry. In fact, I don't think the church is angry enough about the goings, these goings-on in our day and age, which is why men like this have a field day among us. We should be angry. Sproul said, R.C. Sproul said this, the first thing to understand about anger is that it isn't always a bad thing. Many people, especially Christians, have the mistaken notion that anger is intrinsically evil. As a result, they feel needless guilt. The idea that a Christian is never allowed to be angry is a demonic myth. that tends to produce a neurotic anxiety. I've had to struggle with this myth nearly all my life, end quote. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, does it grieve you, my friends, that the name of God is being taken in vain and desecrated? Does it grieve you that we are all living in a godless age? But we are living in such an age, we we are living in such an age. And the main reason we should be praying about revival is that we are anxious to see God's name vindicated and his glory manifested. We should be anxious to see something happen. Uh, Happening that will arrest the nations, all the peoples, and cause them to stop and to think again. That something there means divine judgment. Even having a righteous indignation toward those who desecrate the name of Yahweh. Now having said that, there's a huge difference between righteous indignation and the anger of Cain. This was fleshly anger ungodly, unwarranted, unjustified, unrighteous anger. This is wrath. It's wrath. And as Thomas Manton said, nothing makes uh, room for Satan more than wrath. That's right. Cain was seething mad. He was hot. That's what this word means. It means hot. He had a heart full of hatred and jealousy toward his brother. That same 50th Psalm goes on to say, You let your mouth loose in evil. You harness your tongue for deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. That's Cain. That's Cain. Who had been discovered to be nothing more than a religious hypocrite with a corrupted and desperately wicked heart. And the virtue of Abel and God's acceptance of him was too much for Cain's wicked heart to bear. And God knew it. Yet... Notice in verse 7 how he still provides Cain with an opportunity for deliverance. Look at this. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is lying at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Like a roaring lion who's crouching, looking for someone to devour, here sin is personified as lying in wait, holding off until just the right moment to launch its attack. Uh, Yahweh says, sin's desire, it's for you, Cain. Remember in the curses to Adam and Eve, uh, he said to the woman, your desire will be for your husband. And we all, all the men in here thought, well, that's not a bad thing. That's not so bad. That could be a very good thing, actually. But in actuality, it was used to describe a very bad thing. Because he said, but actually, your husband will rule over you. You will want to uh, master your husband, Eve, but he will master you. He will dominate you. He will control you. Same thing here. Cain, sin wants to dominate you, control you, rule over you, master you. But you must master it. Now, again, how do we master sin what do we do try a little harder do we name it and claim it think happy thoughts do we do some religious deeds do we start doing certain things and stop doing certain things do we abide by the tenets of American evangelicalism don't use swear words don't smoke or chew or hang out with girls that do. Uh, do do we just do better bring a bring God a lamb next time instead of some vegetables is that what we're supposed to do That's how we rule over sin? Is that what God is saying here? No, of course not. No. No. In order to rule over sin, we must first uh, voluntarily surrender or subjugate ourselves to the lordship of the one who already conquered sin. Or as Boyce said much more articulately, uh, is that a word? Anyway, if we would master sin, we must first be mastered by him who mastered it. Naked, if we would master sin, we must first be mastered by him who mastered it. We must be the masters. In other words, we can't rule over sin in our own strength. We have to trust another. Cain had to trust another. He had to trust Yahweh fully, just as we have to trust Yahweh fully. We have to put our faith and our trust in the only one who has mastered sin. That is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This is exactly what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6. If we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is to never die again. Death no longer is master over him. He said, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lusts. and Do not go on presenting your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. You are not under law, but under grace. Through Christ we are set free from our bondage to sin and death, and we are now slaves of righteousness. And we rule over sin continually by continually surrendering our our lives to our righteous creator, which we do so only by... The strength of his spirit who now dwells in us by grace alone, through faith alone. Well, again, this is something that <coughs> Cain, like all other unbelievers, like all other men and women who are of the evil one, ins- inside and outside of the church, certainly cannot do. It's impossible. They cannot surrender their lives to God the Father because they are not of the Father. In fact, they're of their father, the devil. So the devil had his way with Cain. Sin had its way with Cain. It dominated Cain. It ruled Cain. It used and abused Cain. It pounced upon and ravaged Cain like a wild beast. And the fruits of this domination are clear. First, unrighteous indignation and anger. Then, murder. Murder. Followed by an outright spurning of of Yahweh's counsel and grace. Look again at verse 8. Then Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, (coughs) and it happened that when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Notice the sneakiness, the deception. Cain spoke with Abel. Hey, let's go out into the field. Come on, buddy. We don't know what was said, but surely Abel wasn't expecting what would happen next. That's how these people operate, by the way. In dark corners, in whispers, in shadows, in secrets, with their arm around you, drawing you in just a little bit closer so they can dive that knife into your back. In this case, I don't know, maybe it was a stone to the head. Maybe it was a jagged bone to the gut. Some thick plant, or maybe even Cain's own bare hands wrapped around his brother's neck. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But we do know it was murder. The first murder. The first occurrence of Christ's words, you killed the prophets. Abel was the first prophet. That's what Hebrews 11 said. He still speaks today. Again, I can't help but think of poor Eve at this point. This poor woman. Think of Eve as her heart was broken over and over again. Uh, So far, and I don't know where the time went, but so far in this way of Cain, we've seen his indignation unrighteous as it was, his subjugation to sin's mastery, and his assassination of the first prophet. And now in verse 9, we see the disinformation. Does that sound like a familiar term to you these days? Disinformation? Well, I use it there. It's a bit tongue-in-cheek, as it's so commonly used today in place of calling people who lie what they truly are. Liars. Now, habitual liars are among the worst people in the world. I've offset it. You've got pedophiles, domestic abusers, sex sex traffickers, and liars. There's a reason why God includes those who bear false witness among those those who do not inherit eternal life. Because you can never trust a liar. You can never trust what they say. Well, Cain was a slanderous liar. Look at verse 9. Yahweh said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? To the one who knows the heart, I do not know. And with a little bit of sass, by the way. A little bit of smart-aleckiness. I know that's not a word, but that's what my mom used to call me. She said to me one time, you watch your mouth. And I said, well, I can't see it. Whap! (laughs) (laughs) Smart-aleck. I never said that again. (laughs) never said that again Cain was a lying smart aleck I do not know what an idiot he had to know that God sees all things surely his daddy told him about that whole fruit incident you know I'll never forget the illustration of the father who took his son out one night to The moon was shining brightly. He said, son, we're going out and we're going to steal a watermelon. So he found a patch and he stationed his son on the fence and he went into the watermelon patch and he was examining the watermelons to see which one he would like to steal. And so he, as he finally set his eyes on the one he thought was just right, he stood up and he looked around like this. Looked around like that. (coughs) He got his knife out and he was just about ready to cut it And the little boy on the fence says, Daddy, you didn't look every way. And the dad says, Which way? The kid says, You didn't look up. Or you didn't look up. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. I do not, (coughs) Cain, Cain didn't look up at the one who knew exactly what he was doing and what he was saying and what he was thinking always, all the time. I'm not my brother's keeper. I don't know where he is. Wow. God could have said, no, 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 no. You're not your brother's keeper. You're your brother's murderer. But instead, maybe before a crowd, maybe before his folks, maybe one-on-one, we don't know. God says in verse 10, what have you done? What have you done? Like he said to Adam in chapter 3, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Who told you that you were naked, Adam? Or to Eve, What is this that you have done? Just tell me what you've done. I know anyway, so you might as well just tell me the truth. What have you done? Here's another opportunity for Cain to say, I am so sorry. I I got jealous and angry that you loved him and not me, so I killed him. Wretched man that I am, I acted in unbelief. I slaved my own brother, but I am so, so sorry, God. Please forgive me, change me, transform my lowly heart. Please, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But we read of no such repentance. Why? Because Cain was of the evil one. Because Cain was a liar and a murderer from the beginning, just like his father, the devil. Because Cain had a cold, dead heart, which the Lord for reasons only known to him did not make alive by faith but rather allowed to remain in that spiritually dead condition throughout not only the rest of Cain's days on earth but for the rest of eternity God said in in verse 10 what have you done the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground and now cursed are you from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand I love what Matthew Henry says of this verse Murder is a crying sin, none more so. Blood calls out for blood. The blood of the murderer called for the blood of the murderer. The blood is said to cry out from the ground, the earth which is said to open her mouth to receive his brother's blood from his hand. The earth did, as it were, blush to see her own faith stained with such blood. Cain stained the ground with innocent blood. And in turn... At the order of Yahweh, the ground would go on to reject Cain. Verse 12, when you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. All right, I think we're going to stop there for this morning and hit verses 13 and on next week. But before we close in prayer, I think the application for us today is clear. Don't go the way of Cain. Okay? Okay? And frankly, try to limit your association with those who are on the way of Cain as well. Let's be honest. We'll talk about that next week. But again, for this morning, don't go on the way of Cain. Don't let sin master you. Don't be enslaved to your sinful nature. Don't be enslaved to sin whose wages is death, but rather be set free. Be set free from the bondage of sin and death. Be delivered truly from sin and death. Again, how can we possibly do this? How can we possibly master sin and deliver ourselves from death? The answer is we can't. We cannot. We must put our faith in the one who conquered sin, who conquered death, who destroyed the works of the devil, who crushed the head of the devil and would destroy both Satan and his seed in the lake of fire that burns forevermore. Of course, I'm talking about the ultimate seed of the woman, the promised deliverer and savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was offered up on the altar by God himself, the precious lamb of God, the perfect, sinless, spotless, penal, substitutionary atonement for sinners, who shed his own blood, who was was offered up by the Father to take the place of all who would come to him by faith, all who have genuine, God-given, God-granted faith, faith which then justifies them in his sight. I invite you, if you never have, to come to the Father through Jesus the Son. Come to the Father through Jesus the Son, Jesus who said, I am the way. The truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. I pray that if you hear his call this morning through his word that you would not harden your heart but that you'd respond in sincere faith and repentance. God is both willing and able to save you from the penalty of your sin today and he's willing to do so by grace alone through faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Amen. Let's pray now and... We'll have Noel and the music team, sweet Noel, come lead us in musical worship. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for all of the many ways you bless, have blessed us, that, that you've showered your amazing grace upon us. We're just so grateful. We're so grateful for your word. We're grateful for this testimony of Cain and Abel. Lord, protect us from going the way of Cain. Protect us, Lord, from offending you. We're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful for the gospel that you have indeed washed away all our sins in his precious blood. We thank you that we can now come to you with the right hearts, giving you the praise, honor, and glory that you and you alone deserve. It's a delight to give it to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.